Hello there. This week, John Yeo shares about a book written by Eric Topol called Deep Medicine. It discusses the intersections of AI and medicine and how it could optimize processes. Follow us through this three-part discussion and summary of the book. This is the second part. Okay, should we move on to chapter 5? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll just briefly explain yeah. what chapter 4 is. Chapter 4 is, uh, he just goes through a lot of deep learning okay. terms. Like things like AI, deep learning, machine learning, supervised learning, all that stuff. Uh, you can just Google yeah. them if you're interested. Yeah. yeah. Should, should we link this, this, uh, this document uh, yeah. somewhere? Uh, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on to chapter 5. talks about the limitations of uh, AI. Okay, so I think we talked about one of them just now already that medicine uses a lot of unstructured yeah, yeah, data, yeah. so it's very noisy. Black boxes. Oh, you want to talk about that? Okay, all I understand are black boxes. Basically, black boxes are just when you have a machine learning model or just a, a context is that neural networks and deep learning is under is parked under the bigger category called machine learning. But deep learning is generally stuff that are using, at least my understanding, neural networks. But neural networks are a bit more un, not so easily explained. And in general, um, so one, one of the things that I first when I started learning about machine learning is that why is there so many different models? Like, why is there like, uh, on one hand, very easy to understand, which is your linear linear algebra, or sorry, linear regression, which is your y equals mx plus c. Uh, it's very explainable, but then on, on one hand, it's also too simple to, it won't account for a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah. Then, um, so yeah, one, one of the spectrum for the different users for different ma- the machine learning models, like they're really a lot. There's like, I think at least 10 or 12 that I know of really, um, is that as the as these models become more accurate, it becomes a lot less explainable. So in a sense, they become a black box. Like you really don't know what's happening inside yeah. of it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I would say if even at, for neural networks, it's a bit more understandable. Uh, essentially, is if I explain it in a very layman term, it's trying to mimic your brain, like, essentially, where you have an input and then each there'll be hidden layers of uh hidden layers of networks that will sort of see whether that, that input is valid enough or strong enough. Sort of like your chemistry or activation energy. La. And then if every if, if, if it keeps on filtering through and activates each uh, layer, right, then you reach a certain point where at the end it will just uh signal or light up and show that, that that is the answer. So that your last layer will be all your answers. La. So for example, um the first few neural network um applications was trying to read numbers, handwritten numbers into digital numbers. La. So they will fit the they will fit one image of a number and then those each of those dots, like those uh let's say like your image that is 900 by 900, then each of the 900 times 900 dots will be one input. And then the last the last input will be 10, 10 digits. La. So 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 9, uh, 1, 2, 3 until 9. And so after those hidden layers are activated, right? Then one of those dots, either 0, 1, 2, 3 until 9 will be will be shown. La. So then that will be your prediction. Oh okay. La. Yeah. So you know yeah. Yeah you get what I mean right. Yeah. But as, as you add more hidden layers, uh, because this is still quite a simple problem, like I can very easily explain it, like just one input, which is the pictures, and then you have output and depict the numbers, right? But it also could be used to, for example, like a lot of different inputs, like, uh, I don't know, in medicine, maybe like your heart rate, your average heart rate, your sleeping heart rate, uh, everything. Uh, and then you predict whether this guy has what type of cancer or like what cancer. But then as you implement more uh, layers, as the problem sets get more complicated, I'll say it becomes very difficult to identify like eh, which is the which is the thing that is causing the cancer. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like for yeah, sorry, if I go back for like for like, for like the linear regression, right? You can sort of tell based on which of the 
is it the gradient that is causing the issue or is it the point that's causing the issue or is it the bias, the plus C that's causing the issue? Like, it's quite obvious to see like what is changing the curve, yeah. right? But then when you have a neural network, you really can't... You can't pinpoint. Uh, not say really can't tell, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, too, it's too many variables. It's too complicated to uh, really pinpoint what is the exact yeah. cause. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's yeah, the yeah. Point. I think you explained that quite well. So because like we cannot explain, so that's why uh there's a bit resistance to using black box algorithms for uh things that are high stakes, which is like healthcare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And okay, I guess okay, sorry, there's one more context is that while accurate so machine learning models aren't un- criticized based on their accuracy. Because uh I think that's the big dilemma. If you have two if you have a too accurate model, it could be argued that uh, that model is overfitting your oh yes data, yes yeah right so yeah so given uh let's say like five thousand patients that model could be really just suited to those five thousand patients but if I add one more patient then it could be predicted very wrongly that kind of thing so it's not the the best outcome to have overfitted data or like overfitted uh models yeah so um. You can't really you can't really judge like, oh, uh, is the neural networks better more accurate because of this black box like uh it may be more accurate but it also may be overfitted but then you won't know and basically because essentially because it's a black box you won't know whether why is it overfitted next yeah. thing yeah and yeah and and so because of that um even though it's more accurate uh given given also for a large number of patients uh, so it's not like ten patients or like five patients kind of thing. But because it's very unexplainable, it's a bit like, I mean, imagine a doctor coming to you and telling you like, oh, we don't know why you, uh, yeah, yeah. this is the reason why you're cancer, but then it is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit sus. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you are saying that uh, we cannot assess the merits of an algorithm based on uh, accuracy. Like we cannot discriminate based on accuracy because if a model is more accurate, it doesn't mean that it's uh, more accurate for more like real data, right? Uh, yeah, but yeah. isn't it like, uh, um, like how they test the algorithm is that they have these uh, test sets of data then they test the model using that data like I okay I know I mean there's a question that I still have un- answered in my head like if it's not the accuracy then how are they judging the models but there are different there are different ways to judge a model Uh, I, I know the different methods like the one is like the confusion matrix you know the one where they say like oh the lady has given birth but then you have not given birth Uh, and they ask a man actually you haven't given birth but actually you know that one the 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 actual truth and is and reported truth. Oh, yes, 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 the, yeah. Uh, yeah, that one, right? So that, that's one method of assessing whether the model is accurate. Uh, to be honest, I still don't really have an answer on if if not, uh, the question being, if not for accuracy, then how do they judge the models? But uh, there is still a, there is still a sensing. La. Like if it's too inaccurate, then they will know that this model is not very good. La. But uh, I honestly don't really know how they, how they judge what is the best model if it's not for accuracy. But, but, if it's too inaccurate, uh, as I said, it, it's not, it, won't be, it won't be a good mm, model. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then yeah. the next... But I think those are... Yeah, sorry. The, but the method to judge is like very, very math. Like I really have no clue what it is. <laughs> oh, the next limitation is bias. Um, yeah. What I understand about that is uh, the data that you use matters a lot because it will amplify your biases. Uh, yeah, actually, no, talking about this, right? I mean, previously you mentioned about the... Human nature bias, like what's it? Um, availability, uh, oh, yeah. rule-based thinking, the availability bias. But this one thing that I can't really comprehend is how there's a lot of talks about how um even within machine learning models, um biases is like in how do I say uh, it's really inbuilt. Therefore, I don't really quite understand. I don't have an example in my head. But yeah, okay. I was listening to this podcast today about um how they're using um AI to sort of detect whether you have uh skin cancer. But the data used to train those models are also slightly biased because. For example, like the uh the darker skin races, they they might not be seen as having 
the skin cancer, but they actually might be having oh, yeah. skin cancer. Okay. Yeah, something like that. But I, I really don't understand what do they mean by the bias is inherent inside those data. Because given, let's say you're given your, you have uh, data scientists or like the people who are making these machine learning models who are like not inherently racist, right? How can that, how can that, the racism be inbuilt into the data? Therefore, I don't really understand. Okay. Uh, I think like right off the top of my head is like if you have a set of like, let's say the skin, like skin scans, um, the model would be biased towards the majority, which is the lighter, the, the fairer oh, skin. Let's say you, so let's say, so let, let's say, let's say um, they split it half, half. Law. So half of the images that's taken is like, oh, like white people. Or like, yeah. Then the other half is like of other, the darker skin races. Mm. So given that, right, see if it's half, half already, then how do they, how, how is this still inherent? The bias. Yeah. Maybe we can pull out on that. But yeah, I, 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 really, no I really don't know what, what do they mean. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but but there is like because I've I've saw a lot of uh talks or like uh articles about it. But how even within given everything that the human does to input in the model, right? That it's not racist. That it still turns out a bit racist, <laughs> or or biased and yeah. not as racist. Uh. Yeah, uh, maybe it's more of the uh, aside from this race thing. Uh, maybe it's more like given that we're looking at these specific factors that is really in yeah 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 I think so. Like, what, yeah, why we not looking yeah. at other factors? Yeah. Huh. But that is like something that's very difficult to overcome, I think. Yeah. And the point here is uh he says that uh, bias in medical research is baked into the system because patients enrolled in the studies are rarely a reflection of the population. So minorities are frequently underrepresented. But yeah, so if you if you could like represent them accurately, then would that like remove the bias? I, I wouldn't know lah. <laughs> Yeah, but aside from this minorities thing, right? Given like given the people who are sort of have data entries on like for example cancer, there might be people who have also so for example, my, my hypothesis is that the more you smoke, then the more mm. that I have cancer, right? The more likely chance I have cancer. But there, there's a big group of di- people that have smoked but didn't yeah. have cancer in their life. And it's disregarded. And their, da- and their data yeah. isn't registered. Yeah. And so how do you really consider the percentage out of like you know what I mean? Mm. Given that every the number of people that smoke in the world, how many of them are have cancer? <laughs> oh right, yeah. <laughs> Right. Hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Oh my god. There's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, okay. Actually, wait, then how do they now that I think of it? I just I just like been speaking my mind, but how do they count a percentage of the whatever factor affects cancer? Because there are a lot of people that does it also outside that doesn't see a doctor. Yeah, I have no idea. I think it's like the random sampling that we always use. Yeah, then yeah. they just project it to a wide population. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Probably. Oh, but anyways, a, 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 a side note, but somewhat related to this is the okay. So like you know when I was saying the the biases and how one one method to remove these biases is by putting like random very random things into your consideration like as a factor for considering like for example like cancer. For example, like does this guy mm. eat beans? Like, it's completely like like unrelated. But yeah, how how it, how the models can sort of uh uh eliminate or at least one model called random forest. So basically, it's like a decision tree. Yeah. La. So given uh so let's say any single tree um it'll be like oh uh does beans cause cancer so then uh they will predict lah then they will split the, the trees into two and then uh those that eat can those that eat beans and have cancer then those that eat, those that eat beans and then have cancer they will be split so then after splitting let's say like there's completely no correlation right then you sort of uh remove that factor does that make sense uh hmm alright yeah like okay so for example like let's say does smoking cause cancer, right? Then that's one of the decision trees. And then when we split, it, it's yeah. half-half. So like smoking, those people that smoke have cancer. Uh, okay, let's say th- those that smoke, and then after those, you split those into the smoke, right? Half have cancer, half have no cancer. So then that is a, 
very clear cut that smoking doesn't cause cancer lah. Cause half have cancer, but half for those that smoke, half have cancer, okay, half yeah. have cancer. So it, it doesn't uh show anything. So under this uh so this is just one one forest. You have many forests that show the or many trees lah. Sorry, many different trees that iterate through all the different factors, right? You can put in like a lot of uh, chapalang like ro- roja or those uh factors. And they'll come out with uh, those factors that are actually oh, important. Wow. Yeah. But it's really just based on this thing, which is that they look at who actually had cancer, who doesn't have cancer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys, it's basically called uh, random forest. But the more unexplainable part is called the extreme gradient boosting. <laughs> I was working on in the bank. The, the model they use is uh, extreme gradient boosting. Uh, that was one thing, sorry. That was, I just wanted to share because that, that was one thing I learned. That given... um. Because sometimes, like you know, in bio, the, the the projects that we do is how does this affect that, right? And a very well conclusion could be this doesn't affect that yeah. at all. But then now at a at a more high level, now that we are high level, it's not just about whether this affects that, it's about how does all these factors are they even important? Yeah, 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 correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. So this this uh extreme gradient boosting or like the random forest uh models or I would say algorithms can sort of tell you whether is it uh important based on historical. Well, that, that's quite sick actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me feel like all those bio IAs are it is, uh, it is uh, honestly. <laughs> it really is. Uh. You can you can just one computer scientist could just done it in like a few seconds, a few one day. Many like. hours in the lab for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay, let's yeah, continue then. Uh the other limitations are quite obvious, like the yeah. existential threat or uh, and the loss of jobs. Uh that I guess he classifies this as in as a fear that people have. That's all. Yeah. Nothing much to talk about that. Uh then privacy and hacking. Yeah. La. Like pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Actually I realized um I never really appreciate the the significance of this issue on how the public perception of AI. When when you're saying about how neural networks like is uh, very unex- unexplainable or like not easily understood, it's more of like those uh those people who are really good at it. Don't really they sort of understand it, but don't know how to explain it, or themselves also don't really understand it. But I never really appreciated how like this could have implication of the public, because the public, for example, might think that AI is like the like your Terminator scene kind of uh picture, right? That's that what's happening yeah. in their head, right? But but actually, in in uh, I think if you ask any computer scientist, that's that's not what is that's not a possible scenario, lah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, quite it's quite impossible, impossible. Yeah. Quite impossible. Yeah, because because all these models that are being made, right? It's not it's still like the preset is the data. Uh, cleaning and everything so if you don't have a machine that can automate and it's definitely impossible I would say it's very hard difficult to the data automate data cleaning la, because that one you, really, you need human intuition mm. then only when your data is like clean right then then your model can like sort of work yeah, yeah. but then again the public still thinks that because of this uh, unexplainability that their, their worries just become like dramatized mm. yeah overly dramatic yeah as I was saying jobs I have nothing much to say. It's just that people are scared that they'll lose their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but the counter yeah. argument is that a lot of new jobs will be created. Mm. Okay, I read some book long ago like, that, that, that it might be different because at least this uh this wave of jobs being inhibited might be different because the two things that require for a job is your brains or your brows, right? Your muscle or your your brain. Uh then last time by automating a lot of things, they remove the, the muscles. Hmm. So what we have left is the hmm. brain. Right now, by removing the brain, like there might not be anything for humans or the like heart. people. <laughs> the heart. <laughs> this is kind of the point of this book, no? Maybe, maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. Or is it really? Oh my god. Maybe so, maybe so. Yeah. But how can you monetize the heart? <laughs> we'll just be a happy uh, happy uh <laughs> a happy world. Uh, yeah. like Wally, uh, world of Wally. Where has no jobs? Uh, and what is this existential threat thing? It's what you talked about. Like people overly dramatizing the 
what AI looks will look like in the future. And which is basically like Terminator. <laughs> okay, actually I feel like what I, I might share later might be a bit scary, but uh we can we can talk about chapter right. eight and nine. Okay, let's let's continue. Well yeah, I'm skipping over chapter six and seven because they I think we talked about it briefly. I will just summarize it. Lah. So uh chapter six he talks about how uh yeah, lah, so if you remove the the muscle and then you remove the brain, we only left the heart. So <laughs> that's a, for us to be able to <laughs> how do you say to to integrate like all the technology and results together to make a good outcome on a patient. Yeah, that's all. Then chapter seven talks about clinicians uh, without patterns. So uh, what he means by this term is uh, um doctors that are not involved with like routine scans, like interpreting routine scans like pathology. Um, because those are very easily like automized, automated. Sorry, and um, so uh, I guess I'm not really sure uh, what kind of doctors he's referring to here, lah. But he's talk. One example that he gives is like um, the speech of doctors is not easily structured by like numbers and stuff. That's what he means, like without patterns. As mean? in, how do you say? Oh yeah, you made the point about the human transcription, right? Yeah, I think that's what yeah. he's trying to talk about here. As in clinicians without patterns is like doctors which have to talk a lot or they have to make certain diagnoses that are not routine. I don't know how to explain this properly. Maybe you can edit this out, but yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, let's just skip seven. La. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, wait, wait, sorry. It's not us. The, what do you mean by that? The, because they are, they are talking pattern is very irregular. Therefore, the... I think so. I think so. Yeah, but it's not a very like... <laughs> Amazing point. Hmm. If that is his point, I don't think it's true. Eh? Like it's possible to uh as in it's possible to pre-train a model to pick up a lot of different thought, sort of text or audios. Like I don't think any single doctor can say something so so drastically unheard of that <laughs> that is like un- un- ununderstood by the on incomprehensible by yeah. a machine. Maybe I got this wrong, uh. Oh, you mean like you mean like body language, is it? Oh, ah uh, yeah, 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 actually. Oh, okay. okay, I don't think he, that there's a need to call it clinicians without patterns are it's just freaking doctors in general mm. uh, okay. yeah actually a big part of communication is the non-verbal communication like that would be like for example when you're speaking and you're pausing a lot that's, that has some mm. meaning to it also okay maybe we can talk about that okay let's just I don't think I don't think that there's I don't think there's any there's any method or like libraries or like any uh way that like all those computer scientists have built to account for all these like non-verbal communications yeah be it, like verbal but then like the not the same not the same as the audio versus the text like like the speaking tone the speaking speed uh and also non-verbal like the body language yeah 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 correct yeah, yeah I don't think there's any way that I think if they do that would be quite mm. amazing so chapter 7 is about how uh, AI cannot really capture the non-verbal communication of doctors so things like tone, intonation, uh, silences even, uh, they cannot be captured in like notes, like your transcripts and all that. So a lot of this knowledge will be missing from like data that you're going to uh, study. Yeah, I think that's it. Hmm. Okay. Chapter 8. Okay, this one, he, he talks about mental health. And I, I think he poses a interesting question is uh, whether do you feel uh, more comfortable talking about personal stuff with uh, other people or a computer hmm. <laughs> the context is like having therapy la. I, I don't know I feel like if we split halfway like some people will be more comfortable talking to a computer yeah I think it's not it's not too clear cut but there is a lot of uh, benefits to having like a virtual therapist yeah because I don't know people feel that some human beings will be judgmental so they don't really share a lot of personal things that could be one side. But on the other side, they feel like a robot will be cold and they can't understand like our emotions and that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, but um, 
there is there is like a sort of statistic here. He says, uh, by every measure, participants were willing to disclose much more when they thought they were communicating uh communicating with a virtual human rather than a real one. Yeah. Hmm. I guess it's somewhat true, like, like if I was talking to a real person, then that yeah, there's a sense of not only the judgment, but also the now this person knows more about me, then just he's a liability. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh then oh yeah, I don't know if you have been scrolling Instagram a lot, but they have a lot of random ads that pops up for my feed. And it always recommends this CBT okay. thing. You know what CBT is? It's a cognitive behavioral therapy. No, what is that? <laughs> what I have you no idea, dude. <laughs> but uh <laughs> it's like they try and uh it's basically putting like a therapist in your phone, then uh they they will like tailor make your like treatment. Uh. They try and break like your patterns of uh unhealthy thinking and behaviors. Wait, so you, are you telling me that when you download this app, then they will be able to access every every like everything you do on the phone, and then like they will sort of tell you what what is your mental health? I don't think it's that advanced, lah. I, mean, I mean, that's like quite a huge privacy breach there. But <laughs> I, I I think like yeah. maybe this kind of I haven't downloaded the app, lah. By the way, but uh, I think it's they they will just ask you to fill up like some questionnaire. Then they sort of identify your identity and stuff. Then they will just ta- uh tailor make your therapy session in that sort of sense. Yeah. Oh okay. Wow. Oh, thanks. I never heard this before. Interesting. Hmm. And I think it's quite interesting, lah. Uh, to be honest, I thought at the point you wrote down. Like, uh, using Instagram photos to see out the depressed people. I think okay. What I I recently did this project like two weeks ago or last week. I basically have a you know like Telegram bots. Mm. Uh yeah. So I've been having this major project to like personal project to like automate everything in my life using the Telegram bot. So one of the functions that I took quite a while, like I think three four days. It's just me sitting down three four days coding until five. <laughs> uh, but essentially, essentially what it does is you can click. You can type, basically you type in any Instagram name. So you just type it in and then it will scrape through, basically like extract all those recent posts by, by the by the user. Lah. So you, you extract the pictures and the text and like the caption. Wow, okay. So I was, I, I, my main motivation of doing that was like, you know those like, like educational kind of uh, Instagram pages. Then you can sort of like just script and just see like update for the day. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's quite useful because uh Instagram you can't really download pictures. Yeah. You only can yeah, you only can screenshot. Yeah, but but in terms of using code to sort of see see what is depressed people, there's really like a lot of libraries that you can use to scrape the Instagram. So like not just downloading you can very easily download like a few thousand pictures in like five minutes. That's way faster compared to like screenshotting the Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Wait, it says here the machine accuracy for detection of depression on 70%. What is this? Oh, that was the study that they did. What the freak? <laughs> that means it's, it's a pretty good indicator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then again, depression is very subjective, right? No one really knows whether he has depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I don't really know what maybe the yeah, I don't really know what the term like clinically uh, depressed even means actually. Oh yeah, I don't know what yeah. to do. Okay, chapter nine. Shit. <laughs> <laughs>